Have you ever wondered how your sales performance compares against your competitors and peers? The B2B Sales Benchmark Report provides the definitive guide to what success looks like in 2021. See how you compare in terms of win rate, sales cycle, average deal value, relationships, and engagement. You can see the results and get the full report at ebster.com forward slash B2B dash sales dash benchmarks. This is Sales Ops Demystified, the number one most downloaded podcast in sales operations. We invite the brightest minds in sales operations onto the show to deconstruct the why, what, and how behind rep productivity, forecasting, metrics, and all things revenue. This podcast is brought to you by Ebster, the leading customer engagement platform for Salesforce. Hello, and welcome to another very special episode of the Sales Ops Demystified podcast. Today, we're joined by Fabien Munier, currently heading up sales operations at Market Finance. Fabian, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good, good morning and, and thanks for having me. Um, so we're going to cover a couple of topics during this interview. Um, first, I want to dig in, obviously, to market finance and the sales operation there, but also learn a little bit more about your plans to move into uh, revenue ops consulting as a few of other guests, either before or after the interview with us, have gone on to do that. So I think it's quite interesting to cover that journey as well. But to kick things off, um, I want to understand how you first got into sales operations. Yeah, sure. So my, um, my, I started my career in sales and, um, and I, I think what made me um, successful in, in, in sales was my, my resourcefulness. Like I, I really relied on, on the data that was available to me, the, the, the processes and the tech, uh, whether that was at an individual level or later on like uh, leading teams. And, and as such, I think the, the transition to, to sales up was almost natural. There was never like, it, I just kind of fell into it. It was like a natural uh, like progression. Uh, at the time, it started with the, the CEO um, assigning me like strategic projects, like setting up um, a customer success like team, then overseeing sales academy, or and l- later on uh, picking up Salesforce as a as a product owner. Uh, so that's really how, how I got into it, and then that led me to uh, a sales operation role at at Moody's, the credit rating agency, uh, and then to my current role. Um, where, where it's maybe entered as sales operation and then moved to like kind of a, a, a larger, having a larger um, remit because of maybe the size, the size of the organization. Cool. So right now at Market Finance, how many sales reps are you currently responsible for and how many people are there in your sales ops function? So it's, it's between 25 and 30, uh, the, the, the sales team currently. And, and currently, the sales of team is me, myself, and I. 
uh, we uh, had um, a plan to hire someone at the beginning of the year, and then uh, it didn't happen quickly enough. And then obviously um, things have been kind of been put on hold for uh, well, a lot of companies and, 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 and us too. Cool. And so one thing, can you share one thing since joining Market Finance that you've done in the sales ops function that's had a significant boost in productivity of the reps? Yeah, sure. So I think one of the biggest, um, one of the things that have really changed everything, like the, the, the game for them and how they've used, uh, they're using Salesforce is um, building bridges to other departments in the company via, via Salesforce and kind of bringing uh, other, other part of the business onto Salesforce. So it's kind of doing the non-sales operation things that have really helped on the, on the sales side because there was, when I first joined, the, the collaboration within the company was very, uh, was very scattered. You would have uh, some of its collaboration would happen via email, Slack, uh, coffee machine chat, uh, and it was very difficult. Obviously, there was no track record. Uh, auditing was, was painful. Handover uh, were almost impossible. So really bringing in everyone onto the one platform has, has really um, changed, the, uh, changed the game there. So which other groups within the organization have you brought into Salesforce? So we have our, um, so obviously we are a business finance company with a, with a commercial team, with like a sales team, but then we have um, a risk underwriting team. So we have uh, ops people and we have um, underwriter there. Uh, so these are, this is mainly the team that has been uh, brought on, on board too. And how did that benefit the, the, the sales process, having these guys included in Salesforce? Or actually, I think what you did say was that it didn't necessarily benefit the sales process, but it's benefited the business as a whole. Yeah, so I think it provides, um, it's, when, when you are, um, when you think about the, the, like a deal process, a deal life cycle, uh, you always have, um, uh, you have moments where you're kind of passing the baton from one, one team to another, and, and there can be, uh, there can be frictions, um, like I'm not trying to blame anyone on either side, there's definitely, uh, usually both sides are to be blamed, although if you are sitting purely in sales, you might just be thinking like, you're doing everything, uh, everything the right way, and it's all about the others. But the truth is, it's it's usually on both sides. Um, but the the key thing here is that it was by bringing on um, this process into Salesforce, we were able to create a lot of visibility, and all of a sudden, uh, you create well, simply people don't miss things anymore because it helps them to be to be organized. But you create a lot of by creating visibility, you create accountability, and I think it's uh it's, it's a very simplistic way to uh, to approach sales, uh, like process optimization. But really, for me, creating visibility on a, on a process is uh, very often just solving the solving the issue. You don't have to make any tweaks. So adding more technology, uh, it, it just solves by itself because all of a sudden people are aware of what is happening. Interesting. A quote that I really really like. I can't remember where I heard it, but it, it was years ago, and it was so simple. If awareness builds its own momentum, and so this is what you're saying here. You don't necessarily yeah, exactly. change something. If people can see everything, then that will, in theory, resolve any issues. Yeah. And then if it doesn't fix the issue, then you can go on and, 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 and do what, what else is needed. But usually it's kind of like surface, the, uh, surface those, those issues and make the, making them visible. Yeah. 
Awesome. So uh, as you mentioned, in the last few weeks, I assume you guys have gone completely remote, being based in London. Um, what challenges have that posed you as a sales ops lead? So for me, the challenge is really, uh, our thought was going to be to make sure the, um, like in, in, this, in this current environment, things are changing so quickly, you have to make uh, like process tweaks on a kind of on a daily basis. We are launching new products to, uh, to adjust to the market. Uh, we also have like loads of last minute data requests. And I thought it was going to be kind of a challenge because um, you can't really be like, not every, like people are not in one office. They can't be one person to kind of remind people and, and, and chase them. But actually I've been, I've actually been really impressed by the way the, the reps have, have responded to those kind of last minute data requests uh, or adopting, adapting to a process tweak. It's, it's kind of, it's almost as if being remote has made, it, has made some of these things easier than, than back at, uh, in the office days. And I think it's because everyone wants also to prove that they are on top of what they are doing. It's, it's really, uh, yeah. I'm actually really excited to see how this is going to impact the way we, we will operate long term because it's, it's going to change, right? Um, and, and, and working from RAG remotely is not going to be the, the odd things that people like me are, are doing. <laughs> It's going to be uh, more of the more of the norm, I suppose. For sure. I mean, I've been bullish on remote work for like four years, and so I totally agree. There's uh, because this period we're like forcing people to work remotely, and all these bigger businesses are going to realize that actually, this can actually like people can be even more productive not being in an office, and then you also don't have to pay for the office. You know what I mean? Um, but anyway, that's, that's besides the, the, the scope of this podcast. Um, so you see, are you saying that you've seen an increase in productivity because of the, almost the accountability on the rep now they're remote? They feel like they have to show that they're on top of everything. Yeah, I think that's, that, that's part of it. And I... It's interesting you asking this because when I when I first worked in uh, in sales, uh, it was kind of a model where there was a lot of micromanagement and and people were not made made accountable for for things. So it was in an office based uh, environment, but people were kind of uh, the work was pre pre done for them and it was kind of like things were scripted and, and etc. And that's not like obviously that's not giving a lot of accountability. And then uh, later on, I moved to a like a um, a setup where there was a lot of accountability with much, like much more senior people, and they were, or even the more junior people, they were just given given trust and, and could kind of like fly in their, their their own ways. And I think, in a way, this this is the next level. Um, having people not within the office, they don't have uh, anyone uh, looking over their their shoulder. Uh, it's again driving the uh, the accountability, and I'm and I'm. I think we can assume that it's, it's in most cases it's, it's going to help with, with productivity. Sure. Can we talk about the sales forecasting process at market finance? How does that work? Or what is your role? Yeah, sure. So my role is to kind of oversee it and, and making sure that uh, we, we have a forecasting uh, process in, in place. Uh, and so it's like about finding the right technology to, to do it. Uh, so what you have to think about is our most popular uh, product as kind of a short sales cycle. 
so the team forecasts on a, on a monthly basis. Uh, and we've actually implemented a new kind of custom forecasting uh, function in Salesforce earlier this year, which has been very, well, it's become very handy um, in, in these days, like in, in the remote uh, setup, because it's, cre again, providing full visibility at, uh, at all levels. Too, too much visibility, arguably. Um, I think we've been able to, like, it's so, so again, it's about creating the visibility, the accountability, and it's kind of a little, a little, little bit of a, I mean, the normal uh, forecasting, uh, with normal forecasting tools, you give the ability to sales managers and leaders to, to, to play a part, and they kind of consume the numbers, and they adjust, inflate, deflate, before it's being shared to the wider audience. And at first, we, uh, we deployed something that was very much like the raw data, um, and, uh, and if that goes up to the CEO or the board level, like they, they, they don't, they, they don't, they don't have these, they don't have the gut, uh, they don't do the gut adjustment, right? They just see the raw numbers and, uh, and, and we kind of, you kind of lose the, the benefit of having forecasting and, and these um, kind of trimming of the numbers. Got it. And then on the, the metric side, if you could only measure one sales related metric for the rest of your career, which would you choose? So I had to think about this one because uh, I knew it was coming. I've, I've listened to a few uh, a few episodes, um, and I, I think I came up like I was. I don't know if it's. I don't. I don't know if you uh, you'll agree if you'll accept my uh, make my KPI. But let's see. Um, so what I'd like to know is what revenue will be generated in the next four weeks or eight weeks or three months, depending on what um, like what's your sales cycle and etc. So it's really where, like the KPI is what revenue I'll be generating in the next, next four weeks. You generate this with kind of like a predictive prediction. So you have a predictive model, then you have like the manual forecast we just talked about, and then you have maybe the gut adjustment from, uh, from, from the sales leadership. But having this number in and, and making it visible, the predictability that it will give it, it's, it's buying you time and, and it allows you as a, as a team, as a company, to focus on delivering the actual numbers against the target, as opposed to kind of resassing the past numbers, having like this huge focus on, on numbers, looking at them daily, that is really counterproductive. And then so it's giving you the space to deliver the numbers. And then it's also giving you the space to focus on the next stage, on your next quarter, your next product, your next uh, GTM. So I think that'd be the golden one for me is where am I heading towards? Yeah, I think that's acceptable. So you're saying depending on the average sales cycle, you would take that time period and the metric would be the expected revenue to be generated within that time period. And the reason why that's valuable is it worth buying the sales team time. So you're allowing your, well, it's going to give you an accurate forecast of what's coming down the pipeline so you can tweak your actions to do more or less. Or Yeah, but and again, you are not spending like just too much time worrying about those, um, the, like the, the numbers and, and chasing people. You just, you just have it. And, and you've built, you have a prediction model that is um, helping you to get these, num these numbers as well. Awesome. Okay, then now... I want to change the track slightly. Um, you mentioned that you're at some point in the near future going to be moving into a consulting role focused on revenue operations. So I have two questions. First is, 
what was the driver for, uh, I, I assume, leaving market finance as an employed person and moving to the consultant, but then also why revenue ops and not sales ops? So I think the, the driver is um, you, um, well, it, I think when you are, when you're working in smaller companies, in startups, you, you kind of find yourself as the, the a lonesome, lonesome soldier, like you, you are just, yeah, you just by yourself and, and you are, you end up being in your, you are the one of a kind skill, skill set in the organization and you don't really have to anyone in the, in the company that you can turn up to, um, to really help you like you. Most of the time, you're the only one. And the reason behind this is because companies, they don't have a company of smaller size. They don't, they don't have the, the budget or they don't even have the need to hire like a, 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 an army or, or even like just a full-time sales ops uh, expert. So I think that's one of the reasons that drove me is by interacting more and more with other people, with peers, I realized that actually there would be, I could add value. That would be, I could add value to other organization by jumping on jumping in on a kind of this part-time consulting basis. Um, and that would also be very exciting for me because that's about being exposed to uh, new environments. That's about uh, like sharing my experience with more companies, with more wannabe sales of ninjas and really having a great impact, a greater impact than, than what I, I feel I may, I may have uh, currently. And then the, la the second part of your question is why kind of rev ups uh, and not sales ups. I think uh, it's kind of uh, pretty much just a label thing. <laughs> uh, maybe rev ups is, is more uh, is, is trendier than, uh, than than sales ups. To me, they're kind of one and the same. Maybe some people will hate me for for saying this, but I think if as a sales ups, you only consider the yourself as being able to drive changes in the sales organization you're really limiting yourself so even if you are working as a sales up you are working with other the other teams and you are whether you're just representing the sales ops and you kind of the voice uh, of, of the of the of the sales team and then you are kind of the uh and on the other way you're the voice of the kind of the company and helping the sales, like towards the, 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 the sales team and helping the sales team figure out about like changes that are happening or process changes, product, etc. So I think you have to have this. And, and if you don't, so I think I'll, I'll, there's one analogy that I, I like to use is you can work on sales, optimizing um, sales process or and the sales organization as much like you can do this every day and there's always tweaks that you that you can make but one of the things that might happen is you're making all these tweaks and you're building a, an amazing sales engine uh, but on the other side the other departments they're not they're just not ready they're not ready for for that pace or they're not aligned and and all the work you've done, all the optimization you've you've tried, you, you came up with all these great ideas. They won't have much of an impact because the, the company is not is not is not ready. So I think this is also the reason to kind of label its rev ups is to have the for people to understand that it's not just about the the sales; it's the overall customer journey. I think that you have to think about all the any every customer touch point, every Kind of revenue impacting decision 
um, and, and put them like, and see have this holistic view uh, if, if you want to have the if you want to be again impactful as a sales up or revops consultant. Awesome. A final question: Who has inspired or educated you the most uh, in sales or revops? So again, I've, I've got to uh, work a little bit on that on that question. Got me thinking a lot, um, and uh, and I'm sorry, but I couldn't stick to a, a table for two. So it'd be a, a bunch of people. Um, on the list, there definitely uh, a few people from my time at, at Moody's, and, and maybe some of them I didn't realize at the, at the time how helpful they, they, they were, like um, how big of an influence they had. But certainly, um, Raj Bhatia, Shabal Shaya, Alexis Ortizini, they were people who, all with their different style, they, t- they taught me a great deal on, on strategy, on adoption, and really how to navigate the um, corporate world where, when wearing the sales up step. So this, this is a group of people, and it's really helped me. My experience in the more the corporate world really helped me when returning to the to, to the sales up. And I thought it would be I would have to drop a lot of uh, my like the knowledge, but actually there were so many uh, experiences that I could just um, use again. And then <clears throat> more recently, uh, I was uh, lucky to work with uh, Gavin Sumner, who was the, the VP of Sales here at Market Finance. And he's been an, like an amazing influence. Um, he's, he's not so much of a sales up ninja himself. I'm sure he won't uh, mind me saying this, but he's really helped me to um, to string together the experience I've gathered across all the, the sales up responsibilities. So you work on Salesforce, you work on data, on enablement, counseling, strategy, and he's really helped me to uh, put this together and made me realize the the power that we are that us sales up ninja, as you you've called it. Uh, is um, well the power that we have and the, the, again the impact that, that we can have on an organization amazing fabian two things that i picked out from this conversation um the first thing this is the first time i think it's been mentioned on an episode simply giving visibility to either the sales team or other parts of the organization and what's happening giving them the awareness can help solve those problems and then the second thing again i haven't heard this before is how if you are in sales ops and you're just focused on the sales team, then that is potentially limiting your, the impact you can have on the organization. And I do agree that even if we just change the name, that could help people within sales ops have a broader impact on the rest of the revenue generating functions and even other parts of the business like you have had at Market Finance. Good. <laughs> I I left you a space to comment there. Um, so yeah, I know I'm 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 uh, I'm, I'm so kind of surprised because to me the uh, like these are not things I came up um, by myself. They like things I've kind of observed and and the uh, the whole idea of the visibility. It's so simple that I yeah I just use it. Um, it's my number one. That's like my go to uh, go to solution. It's just creating the visibility. So yeah, if anyone can. Uh, benefit from that idea, just just go for it. Awesome. And we'll be linking to Fabian below this video if you are interested in revenue ops, revenue ops uh, services. Fabian, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me again. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sales Ops Demystified podcast. 
If you are listening on a podcast listening application, then please subscribe, rate and review. And if you have any questions about the show, if you know a guest or if you have any questions about sales operations, just hit me up at tomhunt at ebster.com. That's tomhunt at ebster.com. 